Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 11th day of March, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and i got to begin it this way tonight. This has been quite a week. For a while, it looked like the truth was not only going to come out, it was going to explode and overturn the entire corrupt system. And you knew that wasn't going to be allowed to happen, right? But it does seem to have panicked the deep state. They predictably doubled down, battened down the hatches, and killed as many people as they needed to, or at least silenced them. In other words, to do whatever it took to nip all of this in the bud. And that's where we are. I guess the good news on that score is we don't yet see the nuclear mushroom clouds, or even the great big false flag that you can bet is already primed and ready to go. We're also seeing, as you might expect, a lot of false alarm and hackers getting people to cry wolf, most of which is getting reported outside the United States. Here's an example from the Daily Mail in the UK. Russians have been told to take anti-radiation pills and run, don't walk to the bomb shelters, as servers at television stations have admittedly been hacked. TV and radio stations in Moscow and the Sverdlovsk region were interrupted, and it's the third such hacking, says the piece, in the last month, which hijacked Russian broadcasts with an alarming message telling citizens that a missile strike had been conducted on Russian soil, so take your potassium iodide pills, don your gas masks, and run to the shelters. Well, folks, unlike Americans, I guess at least they have some shelters to run to. What do you bet it's the same people responsible for these crywolf hack attacks that blew up the Nord Stream pipelines? Hmm. And here's the irony, folks. I guess they know the Russians can't respond tit for tat because Americans wouldn't have any place to run to. Maybe the Russians would have to get the service to say something like, Hey, you Americans, you know what you need to do now. There's been an explosion. Put your head between your knees and kiss your, well, you know what, don't you? Goodbye. Nope. Sad truth is they'll probably never see it coming. Steve Quayle's website has an alert up confirming the air raid warning for the Moscow area and saying it was real, confirmed by multiple sources. And the shelters there really were, in fact, full of people until the all-clear was given. Oh, and by the way, it notes, and this is interesting, folks, this is the same event driving the elite rats in the United States to their bunkers because of a real planned event by the U.S. and NATO and so forth. And on that story, folks, there really are lots of rumors, stories, and innuendo. Like, for example, Gavin Newsom, the dictator of California, has tested positive. What, again? Isn't he fully vaxxed and beyond for COVID? So he's going to be out of circulation for a few days. Nothing to see here. Move along. I guess what this proves is that more politicos need body doubles, like the Biden Fuhrer. Earlobes aside. So from there, let's go back, kind of, sort of, chronologically, and talk about some of the big lies and cover-ups, things that weren't supposed to be revealed that were, and other things that were supposed to be revealed, and surprise, 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 for reasons that I think are obvious in hindsight, ended up not being. Because oftentimes, folks, the truth is revealed by what's not said or reported. I'll start off with this case-in-point story from the Daily Mail out of the UK, which came out over the weekend, and I'll try to keep the disgust out of my voice, but probably won't succeed. It says the chemicals released in East Palestine revealed, in this banner headline, from a World War I choking agent, and that would be phosgene gas, folks, to known carcinogens. Daily Mail looks at the substances and their known health risks after the toxic train crash. Well, here's the problem. They're not about to look at all of them. As a matter of fact, the first thing I did was look through this entire article, do a search, and see if I could find the word dioxin. Hey, guess what? It's not in here at all. And it is far, far, far more deadly than all the other things that are in here combined. But the word doesn't even appear in the piece. Now, is the story therefore a lie? Not unless you realize it's a lie by omission. 
But what this really is is another example of a limited hangout. Hey, let's just tell people part of the truth. Oh, it's really scary. Not nearly as scary as if we told you the whole truth, however. And I could probably go through the whole show just turning this one over. But let's just hit some of the highlights. The bullet points that they always list under the main headlines say things like cancer-causing vinyl chloride was one of the six chemicals on board the trains which derailed on February the 3rd. It was burned during Norfolk Southern's controlled release. There's a really big whopper of the substance six days later to avoid an explosion. Booga, booga, booga. Yeah, an explosion, folks, would have been trivial compared to the controlled burn, towering black mushroom cloud and all that polluted the entire Ohio River Basin and most of Pennsylvania and New York. And that's not counting all that's going to fall out later. Fears about the toxic train explosion in Ohio were amplified this week, says the first line in the piece, when independent researchers determined the air in East Palestine had, quote, unusually high levels of toxic chemicals, and they didn't even tell you about all of them. That assessment contradicted an earlier conclusion made by the U.S. Environmental Protection, SICK, agency that claimed that it was safe despite dozens of toxic substances being released into the area, either by the derailment or as a byproduct of the combustion of the chemicals. Well, there's at least a bit of truth in there. They're just not even going to mention the deadliest component of that toxic combustion, dioxins. They do say this, though. Many commentators have described the toxic train incident as Ohio's Chernobyl, and there are growing fears of health problems, gee, do you think, down the line. And DailyMail.com has investigated the chemicals found, well, at least a few of them, in East Palestine, and documented their health risks. Independent testing, it says, done by Texas A&M and Carnegie Mellon University, published last week, found that the air in East Palestine contains higher than normal concentrations of nine potentially harmful chemicals. They have the list here, even though it's hideously incomplete. And notice, folks, that this is only the air they're talking about, not water or soil or anything else that's been contaminated. Acrolein, benzene, vinyl chloride, butadine, naphthalene, oxaline, trichloroethylene, trichloroethane, and p-xylene. Uh, yeah, and the word dioxin, again, does not appear, even though it's far deadlier in concentrations that are arguably far less than would be measured, even if they were looking for them, which they don't even remotely want to mention. Oh, by the way, down in the piece, this little whopper appears. And how is this for a nice example of just how a limited hangout is really done? It says, acrolein was calculated to be the biggest concern for residents, unquote. And ha, ha, ha. The big news, though, early in the week had to do with a stolen election, the cover-up, and the gang rape of the First Amendment, as well as most of the rest of the Bill of Rights as well, in the form of the January 6th false flag. On Monday night, Fox News' Tucker Carlson dropped some more unseen footage that's been held away from the American people for a couple of years now from the January 6, 2021 Capitol protest, where a lot of people decided they didn't particularly like having an election being stolen and a fake Biden Fuhrer installed instead of the real guy. Anyway, this revealed that the entire, and I'm quoting now from Zero Hedge's coverage, Democrat, Rhino, MSM, Ministry of Truth narrative underpinning the event, hey, I hope you're sitting down, was a complete, total lie. For starters, the surveillance footage shows Capitol Police calmly escorting the guy that they call the QAnon shaman, Jacob Chaisley, throughout the Capitol complex. Now, that's not what you've been told, right? He broke in and was a really bad dude. Looks like they were treating him almost like a VIP. They even helped him find open doors. 
said Carlson, the tape show the Capitol Police never stopped Jacob Chansley. They helped him. They even acted as his tour guides. Chansley, shirtless, adorned in red, white, and blue face paint, and wearing a furry bison head hat, has been the media poster child for the insurrection that wasn't, and he's emerged as one of the most iconic symbols of, uh-oh, January 6th. He's been sentenced to 41 months in the federal gulag for, quote, obstructing an official proceeding. I guess that means the actual revolution, the communist one. The video of Chansley is jarringly inconsistent, notes the piece, with the leftist characterization of January 6th as an insurrection, and far from thwarting Chansley's ambition to reach the Senate chambers, two Capitol Police officers escorted him all over the place to get him there. Along the way, they passed a large group of other Capitol Police officers who appear basically disinterested in Chansley, despite his flamboyant attire. Maybe if they'd known later the video was ever going to come out, they'd have had a different attitude. The video, though, shows Chansley and his police escort approaching various doors to the chamber. One of them pushes and pulls on them to see if they're unlocked. And in light of the new video, suggests Zero Hedge, it's pretty clear that a November 2021 Department of Just Us press release hailing his prison sentence. And here's another one of those, ooh, who could have thought it, folks? gave a grossly misleading description of just how the Navy vet and Arizona managed to reach the Senate chamber. Quote, Chansley continued into the building through a broken door at approximately 2.14 p.m. He kept moving, reaching the gallery of the Senate and then the Senate floor. Said Carlson, we've counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of the unarmed Jacob Chansley, and not one of them even so much as tried to slow him down. In the interview aired by Tucker Carlson, the 33-year-old Chansley said, quote, The one very serious regret that I have is believing that when we were waved in by police officers, it was acceptable. I guess you can say, remember, folks, they really do want you dead, or at least set up to take a fall for what they had planned all along, and you were the patsy for, whether you knew it then or not. Commenting on the latest revelations surrounding one of the biggest lies in American history, the real president's son, Donald Trump Jr., said, quote, I was told the QAnon shaman was leading an insurrection, not the one who's being led by police throughout the Capitol building. No wonder, he said, they kept the footage from us for two years. And, as always, they lied to us all. But that's not all. Carlson revealed that the uncharged agitator and uh, FBI, was he a plant, was he on the payroll, or was he just another agent provocateur? Anyway, Ray Epps lied during his sworn testimony, all the good that an oath does anymore, right? Quote, Epps testified that when he sent the text messages to his nephew, he'd already left the Capitol grounds to return to his hotel room. Said Carlson, that is not true. And that pesky video seems to make that clear as well. Oh, yeah, and this is almost funny in hindsight. You may have seen the video of the so-called coward, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, running from the Capitol like a scared little boy. I guess you could say he didn't get the memo, folks, from Pelosi's office. No, it was all a fake. The actual videotape, said Carlson, shows that Hawley was one of many lawmakers being ushered out of the building by Capitol Hill police officers. And in fact, Josh Hawley turned out to be at the back of the pack. The coward tape, as it's been called, was a lie. One of many from the January 6th committee. They lied about the death of Officer Brian Sicknick, too. Quote, 
The January 6th committee knew perfectly well that Brian Sicknick was walking normally throughout the Capitol after he was supposedly murdered by Trump supporters. And they know that because they saw this tape, he said. We can be sure because the footage contains an electronic bookmark that's still archived on the Capitol's computer system. And he noted that he'll air part two of the unseen January 6th footage on Tuesday night, adding that we now have irrefutable proof that Adam Kinzinger, Liz Cheney, and the rest of the scumbags, he called them the sham committee, lied about January 6th, and he said, and I would agree heartily on this score, every last one of them should be prosecuted. Elon Musk of Twitter fame, reacting to some of the footage, said simply, wow, and then added, besides misleading the public, they withheld evidence for partisan political reasons that sent people to prison for far more serious crimes than they committed. And I guess he could have said it this way, the more serious crimes, folks, were committed by those who sent them to prison and should be there in their place. But Musk certainly got this part right. That is deeply wrong, legally and morally. For his part, President Donald Trump later said, Congratulations to Tucker Carlson on one of the biggest scoops as a reporter in U.S. history. The new surveillance footage of the January 6th events sheds an entirely different light on what actually happened. The unselect committee, as he put it, was a giant scam and has now unequivocally been stamped as criminal fabricators of this most important day. Pelosi and McConnell failed on security. The police story is sad and difficult to watch. In a related tweet, he said, Great courage was shown by the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, in releasing the surveillance footage to Tucker Carlson so that the country, and indeed the world, can see what truly happened January 6th. And as if we don't already know it, guess who he suggests it should really be prosecuted for their, and I'll use this word, folks, treason, because they have been making unrelenting war against the American people. And by midweek, we certainly saw that escalate. And once again, it was revealed by what we actually didn't see, the later installments in Tucker Carlson's series of revelations. What we did hear, though, right up front, made it pretty clear that it was coming. There was, of course, Senator Evil, who Tuesday made it clear he hates the First Amendment almost as much as he hates the Second. Chucky Schumer, the traitor from New York, came right out and threatened Fox News. If they dare to let Tucker Carlson say any more about how the American people have been betrayed by the likes of him and, of course, the cross-dressing rhino in elephant's clothing, Mitch McConnell who tried to one-up the walking-talking Chucky doll by coming out yesterday and saying it was a mistake for Tucker Carlson to allow the American people to see the truth of what's been done to him and why those J6 political prisoners are rotting in a D.C. gulag. And he, too, lashed out at the Speaker of the House, who arguably is Speaker because he agreed to do this, Kevin McCarthy, for allowing Tucker Carlson, and, of course, only Tucker Carlson, access to the footage. Quote, it was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement here at the Capitol thinks, or has been told to think. And by the way, it was also really personally embarrassing for the scumbag who pretends to be Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, given that he's been lying about this for almost as long as the people who stole the White House. Remember, folks, it was whore and sellout Rhino Mitch, who, before the dead bodies that they'd killed were even cold, called that false flag on Capitol Hill... Quote, a violent insurrection. Turns out it was a damned lie and he's known it all along. Now he's covering his tracks, but not very effectively. And looky, looky, folks, both wings of that same evil bird of prey right there in the swamp are flapping real hard in unison. Which takes me, of course, to the story you didn't hear, which should have been the lead today on just about every paper in the country. If we still had an honest fourth estate, we don't. 
And that, it seems, is more video that's been hidden from you for two years. The Tucker Carlson said he was going to play, and he wasn't allowed to. Or so it seems. I'm not blaming him for it, because if he doesn't have a platform, he can't very well speak now, can he? But if he's the only one who's got it, for which I do blame Mitch McConnell, or I'm sorry, Kevin McCarthy, sometimes it's hard to tell him apart. I guess McCarthy at least kind of kept his promise. <laughs> well, here's the story as the Gateway Pundit and Jim Hoff put it today. Last Thursday night, Tucker Carlson told his audience he would release information this week on his team's analysis of those 42,000-plus hours of video footage from the January 6, 2021 false flag and protest turned deadly. Thank you, Capitol Police, FBI, and other agent provocateurs. And Monday's show was explosive. Tucker Carlson, as promised, exposed how many of the narratives propagated by the January 6th commission were outright vicious and even treasonous, folks, lies. We talked about them in detail yesterday, among them that Brian Sicknick was murdered by protesters. Turned out that that was a lie. There was video and an interview with Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, being escorted peacefully through the Capitol, and Ray Epps, who perjured himself before the committee. But then... The plot thickened when the two wings of that evil Senate bird of prey, Chucky Schumer and Mitch McConnell, jumped into action. These narratives cannot be disrupted. We will not allow the truth to be aired. Schumer went to the Senate floor, says the piece, and threatened Tucker Carlson and Fox News for daring to show the American people what really happened, and they must be kept in the dark and treated like mushrooms. Mitch McConnell sided with Schumer and against the American people, and Tuesday night's show, it seems, was watered down quite a bit. Tucker Carlson didn't release any explosive video. His interview with a Capitol Hill police officer was interesting, says the piece, but certainly subdued. And there were no big reveals on the show last night. Hey, 42,000 hours, we know a lot of stuff that's in there. And he couldn't find it, even knowing when and where it was? At least, and I think we already know the answer, he wasn't allowed to show it. Investigative reporter Charlie Atkinson tweeted out that the show plan was changed. Tweeting, from what I can gather, the plan to air more January 6th tapes on Fox Tuesday night changed. There must have been some battle behind the scenes, but they should have been addressed explicitly on the program rather than just pretending to ignore it. As Steve Bannon put it a bit more bluntly, Murdoch shut Tucker down. And as the Gateway Pundit notes, Tucker Carlson has yet to report on the four Trump supporters who were killed that day and the police involvement in each of their deaths. Just in case you watch network news, folks, and don't hear it from the real sources, their names are Roseanne Boylan, she was trampled to death, Benjamin Phillips, Kevin Greeson, and of course, Ashley Babbitt. We've seen her execution on tape. And let's not forget... Her assassin, Lieutenant Michael Byrd, outright got away with it. And we also have video of him on the Capitol floor, handling a loaded gun like the only training he ever got was from gangbanger movies. Sweeping it past other people, including Congress critters, finger on the trigger, recklessly handling a gun like some idiot who could get elected mayor of New York. Well, folks, suffice it to say that for anybody expecting another truth bomb or some actual video of the level of treason now being exposed at least once in a while in the D.C. swamp, there was massive disappointment to be had. In fairness, though, we'll give Tucker his due. He at least did say a couple of things worthy of note, starting with a couple of comments on the footage we brought you here yesterday. Chucky e. Schumer. The Democratic leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, is not asking why. Instead, Chuck Schumer went on the Senate floor today to explode and to say that showing that video, evidence of wrongdoing by the federal government, including the security forces, the police department that Nancy Pelosi personally controlled, Letting the public see any of that is a threat to democracy. Watch. Actually, folks, I'm not quite sure I could stomach it again quite so soon. 
Suffice it to say, I'll put it this way, it was one of the most shameful lies ever told on the Senate floor. And there have been quite a few of them, as you know, and a whole lot of them told by this scumbag. But he topped even himself. I don't think I've ever seen an anchor treat the American people and American democracy with such disdain. (laughs) There's nothing that shameful that has ever appeared on American television in the history of the medium. And so, on the basis of that, the self-evident outrage of showing the public video that it paid for and has a right to see, Chuck Schumer called for the censorship of that video. Any information, and he did not dispute that it was accurate, the damages a storyline his party constructed and used must be squelched. And Schumer was explicit on that point. Because that video contradicted lies told by the Democratic Party, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinsinger, Chuck Schumer demanded that our bosses pull this show off the air. And here, folks, I have to note, no, they didn't pull Tucker Carlson off the air. That might have even been too blunt, even for the likes of faux news to try to get away with. Some of us, of course, would have immediately pointed to Chucky anyway, and even he couldn't have that. But they certainly seem to have blunted or even suppressed most of the important part of the message. He's going to come back tonight with another segment. Fox News should tell him not to. Yep, certainly looks like they did. Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, tell Carlson not to run a second segment. Yep, looks like Roger Wilco, message received. Hey, you can count on us. Conduct like theirs is just asking for another January 6th. And you can guess who will end up in the gulag next time, right? It's a threat to democracy. Pull him off the air. A couple of... Obvious observations, you don't often see the Senate Majority Leader openly call for censorship on the floor of the Senate as if that was totally normal and didn't contradict the spirit and the letter of the First Amendment, but of course it does. But what's really happening here, what you're seeing is hysteria, the overstatement, the crazed hyperbole, the red in the face anger, what is that? Well, it's not outrage, of course, it's fear, it's panic. Those videos, which we did not retouch... Yeah, he points out again, they did everything right. Those videos touch a nerve because they're a threat to the lies that Chuck Schumer has been telling for the last 26 months. And not just Chuck Schumer. We should also tell you that Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, was joined in this outrage by the Senate Minority Leader. And that would be a Republican, Mitch McConnell. All right, well, if you say so, Tucker... And they were joined by a cascade of other Republicans. Tom Tillis from North Carolina, Mitt Romney from Utah, all sharing the same outrage. All flapping in unison, all reading from the same script. And from this we learn two things. One, you're getting close to what they really care about. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it so important that they would degrade themselves by telling such obvious lies and calling for censorship? Why? What are they trying to protect? That might be worth exploring, and we plan to. Quick answer, folks. They've all committed treason. And remember what the penalty was for that, if we still had a constitution. And the second thing that we learned from this is that they're on the same side. The Senate Majority Leader joins the Senate Minority Leader. Tom Tillis, Mitt Romney. (laughs) They're all on the same side. So it's actually not about left and right. It's not about Republican and Democrat. Here you have people with shared interests, the open borders people, the people, (laughs) the people like Mitch McConnell, who are living in splendor on Chinese money, the people who 
underneath it all have everything in common or all aligned against everyone else. And that, of course, means you. That means every American who's ever read the Constitution and knows what form of government we have, okay, or maybe had, whether Chucky Schumer does or not. They kind of outed themselves. They sort of showed their membership cards and whatever club this is to the public. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. (laughs) You and I are not in the big club. And finally, before we move on, I do have to note what the Gateway Pundit made a big point of in their reporting. And that's the fact that back in February, Tucker Carlson announced that Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy had granted him exclusive unfettered access to the January 6th protest footage, those 40-some thousand hours at the U.S. Capitol. And again, he was the only one allowed to access them. Since the announcement, the Gateway Pundit says they, along with 33 January 6th defendants and dozens of other family members, as well as supportive media outlets, have signed a petition demanding that Kevin McCarthy also give access to them, the Gateway Pundit, and the January 6th defendants, as well as their families, who are not being provided the critical government video for even their trials. Ain't it just too bad there's no other way for those videos to be seen? And do you know what we saw from Tucker throughout the rest of the week? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. That was planted in my brain Still remains Within the sound of silence Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am again your host, Mark Hall, and let's kick this one off with the old standard of how to know what's happening, and that's follow the money, especially, as we now know, if it's fake money and it's coming apart at the seams. And furthermore, you could also call these signs of the time stories that arguably are indicators of what's coming for those with eyes to see. Like this one from Natural News that says the world's largest purveyor of DNA services, you've heard of them, Ancestry.com, they'll take your blood and supposedly tell you what your DNA says about you, but one thing's for sure, that information just may have other uses too. Now they've been gobbled up by a big public-private partner investment giant, Blackstone, which has purchased Ancestry.com for four point. $7 billion, says Natural News, placing what Reuters calls a big bet on family tree chasing as well as personalized medicine. And what do you bet that there's another reason, too, folks? In case you're unfamiliar with their services, says the piece, Ancestry.com says they not only allow their customers to trace their genealogy, but also identify specific genetic health risks using testing kits. And the story says Blackstone's hope is that because of COVID-1984, more customers will now stay home and use Ancestry.com services, generating more profits for the investment firm. (laughs) And if that fails, folks, I guess they can always sell that information to somebody with really deep pockets and an interest in developing, who knows, maybe genetically targeted bioweapons. 
Color me skeptical, in other words. And another thing worthy of note is that Jeffrey Kindler, former chairman and CEO of Pfizer, hey, there's a company you may have heard of, is now a senior advisor at Blackstone, suggesting that that investment giant is now aiming for a venture into the, ahem, customized medicine industry. By the way, Natural News does harken back to a story that they did about when it came out that communist China was stealing people's DNA from so-called at-home testing kits. Others, your host can't help but think, have worried about the deep cranial cavity nasal swab test probes as well. Item from Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge, there's been a significant data breach that hits lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Hey, is it related? Or is it just possible there's a common moral to the story here? Well, you be the judge. The chief administrative officer of the House of Representatives, Catherine L. Zbindor, told lawmakers on Wednesday that their personal information had been exposed in what they called a significant data breach at a health insurance marketplace. Hey, that too could never happen, right? I've been informed by members of the United States Capitol Police and D.C. Health, like she said, of that data breach impacting members and staff, potentially exposing the PII, or personal identifiable information, of thousands of enrollees. And it's your data, she told the Congress critters and their staff, that may have been compromised in a letter to Capitol Hill on Wednesday. Although it did not appear, say these stories, that lawmakers were the specific targets, just uh, collateral damage. And if that didn't make them nervous, this probably should have. Currently, she wrote, I don't know the size and scope of the breach, but I have been informed by the Federal Bureau of Instigation, FBI, that account information and PII of hundreds of members and house staff were stolen. And I'll notify you directly, she added, if your information was compromised. After which, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries were both told by the FBI that cybersecurity agents found their personal information from D.C. HealthLink on the dark web, according to the WAPO along with things like names of spouses, dependent children, social security numbers, and home addresses. And Spindor told lawmakers and staff they'd better, quote, freeze your credit to prevent anyone from being able to open a credit card or take out a loan in your name. And here's one that I can't help but think ought to raise more than a few eyebrows, and uh, especially when it comes to rampant crime and the District of Criminal Swamp. This comes from Joseph Lord via the Epic Times, also places like Zero Hedge, and it says the U.S. Senate on March 8th overwhelmingly approved a House-passed bill that would overturn, yeah, you heard that right, overturn a controversial D.C. crime law that basically establishes more crime that critics have blasted because it's, uh, well, at minimum, soft on crime. Even the Biden fewer says he won't veto it because, after all, this one hits too close to home. The measure passed in an 81 to 14 vote with 33 Democrats crossing the aisle to vote alongside every Republican and independent in the body. The resolution would block the so-called Revised Criminal Code Act, or RCC, passed by the D.C. Council that lessens penalties for a whole lot of violent crimes, things like carjackings and home burglaries. I guess that's especially important if somebody knows your home address. The Reform was introduced as the district is experiencing, hey, here's a shocker, a record-breaking crime wave. And that doesn't even count what's going on on the floor of Congress. And how bad was this thing? Well, it was so bad it was even vetoed initially by D.C. Mayor Muriel the Bowser, but the council later overruled her veto in a 12-to-1 vote, up until Congress said, oh, no, who are we kidding here? We can't have that. And again, how bad is it? Well, so bad that even Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, rhino from Kentucky, spoke against the bill in remarks on the Senate floor and highlighted recent crime incidents in Washington. You see, it does matter if it's really close to home where they live. Carjackings, he said, and cartels have become a daily routine. Homicides are racking up at a rate of four, four per week, unquote. 
<laughs> and this would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. We are the greatest superpower in history, said the top Senate Rhino. This is our capital city, but local politicians have let its streets become a danger, unt, an embarrassment. And he went on to imply that so-called lawmakers just might have had a hand in what's going on. Gee, do you think? But don't think for a minute that tyranny isn't still popular when the politicians are insulated enough from the uh, fruits of their labors. It's all about control, says a piece from the Gateway Pundit and Jim Hoft. Big Brother Britain is now requiring homegrown chickens to be registered and licensed in order to, yeah, are you buying this, tackle the bird flu as part of their ongoing efforts to combat avian influenza, or maybe the ability of people to feed themselves, given what they've got planned, the governments of England, Wales, and Scotland have introduced a proposal midweek that would make it mandatory for anybody who dares to have a chicken to formally license and register their birds, no matter how many they own. I guess a proper way to put that would be thought that they owned. Failure to do so, Achtung, is a violation of the law. Und, they will be required to update their information every year and provide all kinds of invasive things about what it is that they've gotten, even why. And maybe they shouldn't surprise us. This is, after all, the same country that historically licensed its subjects even to be able to possess a radio receiver so that they can tell what's going on outside of Big Brother's ministries of propaganda. Uh, come to think of it, though, Nazi Germany did the same thing. But there's a related aspect to this story that, unfortunately, won't get nearly the degree of coverage. An update from TGP says, Sources say that FBI agents, who could have thought such a thing, colluded to illegally intercept one of the so-called Proud Boys and his communications with his attorney. Hey, attorney-client privilege, like so many other aspects of the Bill of Rights, demolished. And the paper trail exposes both the FBI various agents, and the Department of Just Us. This piece comes from Kara Kostra-Nawova, and it centers on a compromised FBI agent who took the stand at the so-called trial of the Proud Boys to testify for the persecution. And it was revealed during cross-examination that FBI agent Nicole Miller had intercepted strategy notes between defendant Zachary Rell and his former defense attorney, Jonathan Mosley, with the clear intent to continue violating attorney-client privilege and aid the prosecution before this latest show trial. When defense counsel Nick Smith took the podium to begin his cross-examination of the uh, agent, he stunned the courtroom with the shocking revelation of a thread between special FBI agent Miller and another lead FBI agent on the Proud Boys' so-called sedition case. And the message read, found an email thread with Rell and his attorney Mosley. The attorney raised some interesting points. I need to find other emails, but this one email definitely indicates that they want to go to trial. But don't freak out, Jason and Luke, yet implying that all of this would be shared with the prosecution before it became a problem. Apparently, Miller was intercepting messages between the prisoner and his attorney, which is, unless you work for the FBI or CNN or some socialist media platform, a direct violation of the 6th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution. And yes, attorney-client privilege is one of the oldest and most respected privileges of, um, well, the common law back when we had it. And let me say it again, folks, no wonder they don't want Americans to be able to see those videos, because they certainly don't want the Proud Boys or any of the other January 6th defendants to be allowed access to those things either. By the way, back when we had a rule of law, because it goes to show the innocence of those being persecuted by Big Brother in these show trials. On then to economics and finance, or at least the meltdown already in progress. And I'm going to introduce it this way, with a piece from Zero Hedge under Tyler Durden's byline about the WWE. 
What's that got to do with it, you might be thinking? Well, begins the piece as if rigged stock markets weren't enough. The WWE is now reportedly talking to state gambling regulators in Colorado and in Michigan to lobby for legalized gambling on their matches. Huh? Yeah, you know the trick, right? The catch, it says, unlike actual sport, the outcomes of these wrestling matches have already been determined ahead of time. But you get to bet on it. Does that sound anything like what you might be seeing in the cricket casinos? Yeah, the parallels, I hope, are pretty clear at this point. And maybe so is the lesson. From the bureaus of lying statistics, jobless data. And on that score, the Zero Hedge headline here says, WTF chart of the day. Jobless claims finally rise as layoffs soar at the fastest pace since Lehman. And according to Challenger, Gray, and Christmas, it begins, U.S.-based employers announced 77,770 job cuts in February. That's 410% higher than the 15,000 and change cuts announced during the same month last year. And February's total is the highest for the month since 2009. And there's a lot more data and charts here, but basically, the worst since Lehman they note is never a good thing. But that was followed shortly thereafter by this story from the same source. Brace for a surge in initial jobless claims. This time it's Goldman Sachs, the vampire squid, that's warning that the favorable seasonal adjustments now seem to be over. And I'll read through some of the bureaucraties here. Two weeks ago, they reported that J.P. Morgan was the latest bank to join the ever-growing parade of sell-side analysts who'd had enough of the Department of Labor's ridiculous seasonal adjustments, especially when it comes to making the biden Fuhrer at least try to look good. Specifically, bank economist Dan Silver politely said that, now get this, some alternative seasonal adjustments of the initial claims data show less favorable changes in filings from recent weeks than the official figures. Yeah, you need the translation. The various adjustments embedded in initial claims data had gotten so grotesque that even the largest U.S. bank had to bring attention to them, and understandably so because the divergence had just plain gotten too big to ignore but between uh, the reality and the spin. So now, none other than Goldman Sachs has joined the bandwagon, slamming the Department of Labor's gratuitous data fudging, with chief economist Jan Hatzius writing that, quote, seasonal adjustment issues have exerted an increasing amount of downward pressure on initial claims over the last few months, and that pressure, he predicted, will begin to reverse in a few weeks, i.e., we're getting ready to see a big spike in claims. So the bottom line, says Tyler Dern, the Biden regime may have been able to hide for months behind grotesque and gratuitous seasonal adjustments, maintaining the false impression that at least the U.S. labor market was stable at a time of collapsing corporate profits and soaring inflation, thus feeding the Fed all kinds of false signals, demanding further, say it with me, folks, monetary tightening and higher interest rates. But all of that is about to come to an end. Here's another indicator making the same point. Amid the mounting speculation, says this piece of a soft landing, and even talk of no landing, we, meaning Zero Hedge, have pointed out multiple strategists who don't share that amazing sense of optimism, but rather one that is typical of an end-cycle environment. In other words, uh, things are a lot closer to the end than the beginning. A new report, they say, by Canada-based logistics company Descartes Systems Group indicates that U.S. shipping container imports plunged 22% in the first two months of the year, according to Bloomberg. In January and February, the total volume of inbound containers, measured in 20-foot equivalent units, was 3.8 million, down from 4.78 million recorded during the same period in 2022. And yes, they say, container import declines into the world's largest economy may be an ominous sign as some strategists believe a recession, can you imagine that, just might unfold in the second half of the year. 
Oh, yeah. And don't forget those rate increases, which are only now beginning to filter in and do their, uh, well, whatever they've got planned. One more today from Zero Hedge is the bursting of that tech bubble finally spilling over into the financial system. One day after the biggest crypto-focused bank, Silvergate Capital announced their plans to unwind and liquidate after a deposit run effectively killed their core business model. This morning, its far larger peer, the parent company of the venerable Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB Financial Group, saw its shares plunge the most in two decades after the company took steps to, quote, bolster its financial position that included not only a highly dilutive stock offering, but also a panicked asset sale that sparked fears of a liquidity crisis at one of the biggest and original providers of funding to the venture capital industry. Yep, they've suffered a 47% crash amidst the sudden liquidity crisis. By Friday, though, we were seeing headlines like this. Silicon Valley Bank collapses after failing to raise capital. There are bank-run fears, said CNN. Whereas Zero Hedge summarizes simply as blind panic. U.S. jobs data, as wonderful as it was spun to be, was upstaged by the fears of what else is probably out there. Here's a story that certainly proves something. I guess you could say it makes George Orwell's point from the end of 1984. Like Winston, having been to the re-education camp and uh, out to the woodshed, she loves Big Brother now. Anyway, here we go. This comes from Jim Hoffman, the Gateway Pundit. Former Trump attorney Jenna Ellis learned the hard way that when Big Brother says jump, you had better say how high. And she did. She suffered through a struggle session, says Jim Hoft, before a scumbag masquerading as a judge named Byron Large for her public comments following the, and I'll say it, rigged 2022 presidential election. Alice believed that she actually had the right to criticize the controversy, to put it mildly, surrounding the bogus election. As it turns out, she was wrong, almost dead wrong. And then she was forced to stand before Judge Large and bow her head in shame and admit to everything that the so-called court wanted her to. Welcome to the new America, says Hoff. You're going to just love it. But the judge, showing how magnanimous he was, did allow Jenna to keep her law license. No word on what she had to do behind closed doors. If you remember the TV movie Animal House, folks, I'm surprised she didn't have to say something like, Thank you, sir. May I have another? The Business Insider put it this way. One of Donald Trump's former lawyers, Jenna Ellis, admitted to misrepresenting evidence at least ten times while trying to overturn the bogus 2020 election, but she'll still be able to practice law, or what now passes for it. She admitted in a Colorado disciplinary proceeding to getting the facts wrong about the 2020 election rig. Yeah, the senile codger who never even came out of his basement really did garner the most votes in election history. I believe, I believe, I believe. And Tinkerbell lives. The disciplinary judge wrote in his six-page order that Ellis made, quote, these representations on Twitter, oot, on various television programs, including Fox Business, MSNBC, Fox News, and Newsmax. And here, folks, are the claims that Ellis sucked up and admitted she misrepresented. That former Democrat presidential nominee, Hillary Clinton, quote, has not conceded the 2016 election. Ah, come on. Hitler's still grousing she didn't get to be dictator. Here's another claim she admitted to misrepresenting that Trump's legal team had witness affidavits, fraudulent ballots, and, quote, all kinds of statistics that show this was a coordinated effort in all of these states to transfer votes either from Trump to Biden to manipulate the ballots or to count them in secret. Furthermore, she misrepresented the fact that the election was stolen from President Trump and, quote, we can prove it, and that Trump's legal team will, quote, present testimonial and other evidence in court to show how this election was stolen, unquote. Well, I guess if you're not allowed to, that's a misrepresentation. Or maybe she just meant that there's no such thing as a court anymore. All of the above seems to be the case. 
Here's another one. Quote, the election was stolen and Trump won by a landslide. And by the way, folks, all of these are conspiracy theories that have long since passed the six-month truth date. She misrepresented the fact that there was, quote, widespread fraud in the 2020 election and that at least six battleground states were, quote, corrupted, if not through more than their voting systems. Oh, yeah. And also that there were half a million illegal votes cast in Arizona. Tell me something that's not blankety-blank and obvious. I don't know, folks. I can't help but think she probably would have admitted to uh, committing murders 20 or so years before she was born. And it might have even looked more credible because this kind of stuff's starting to make Stalin's regime look good. Now, this next story, folks, I'll admit, is one that really tends to set me off for a whole bunch of reasons. One, because it's literally the definition of yellow journalism. I first saw it on the Daily Mail's coverage. And the spin here, the slant, was absolutely disgusting. But there's more to it even than that. Because the body cam footage from the cops that perpetrated it literally shows an execution. And what the Daily Mail and the other press coverage then goes on to do is to say, hey... This guy obviously had it coming because he was, you know, one of those people. I'm going to come right out and say it. The only thing we're missing here is the N-word. Although there's a new N-word in town, and it has nothing to do with race, it has to do with a political position that is worthy of execution. Just ask the FBI or their boss, the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I encourage you, since I can't show the video, go out, find it, and take a look. Compared to this college student in Utah, yeah, George Floyd had it coming. And if you think that's harsh, just listen. But I'll admit up front, there are some really interesting parallels here if you stop to think about it. And ironically, folks, we didn't hear much about this story until this week, when Utah police, says the coverage, have released body cam footage of the execution-style shooting death, and I put that term in there, as you can guess, of 25-year-old Chase Allen, law student who was killed on March 1st after refusing to comply with police commands at what was called a routine traffic stop to provide the information demanded by his betters. And this, they say, and falsely, folks, is because he claims to be a sovereign citizen. Which just happens to be the very term that the FBI has been warning police about, because anybody who uses that term, by definition, is a domestic violent extremist, and certainly worthy of extreme prejudice. Sovereign citizens, says the Daily Mail helpfully, do not believe they are bound by federal or state law. And that, too, folks, is another bald-faced lie. Now, I'm not going to claim what they do, that they know what everybody believes, especially if it's not true. But I am going to suggest that there are a lot of people that are being tarred and feathered with that extremely broad brush and now executed on the streets, as we've seen many times throughout history, whether it's the color of their skin or yellow stars who aren't monolithically evil like the various Nazis and wannabe global tyrants would have you believe. What I do know, and have been talking about on the radio for years, is that people who are being thus branded are actually what would have once been called patriots, constitutionalists, Bible believers, libertarians, people who took an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and now recognize what a domestic enemy looks like. Because horror of horrors... Some of them have actually read that document or know what the supreme law of the land really is. And, as we've seen lately, just as importantly, actually isn't. So what we're told in this case, and the Daily Mail at least has pictures, is that this young fellow, 25-year-old Chase Allen, who's a law student in Utah, had made up a license plate that wasn't the official Utah issue. Because, obviously, he was trying to make a point, and it cost him his life. And when he was stopped, it honestly looked to me like he had a speech rehearsed. But the cop wasn't hearing anything of that. He, too, had a speech, and he'd evidently had training that predisposed him, you might even say prejudiced him, on how to deal with these kind of people, fatally. 
Oh, and it turns out later stories said after the fact, his mom and his family had sued the Farmington, Utah Police Department over issues surrounding traffic stops, it seems. And who knows, that might not have worked in his favor either. And one more thing before I go through this, folks. I'm not excusing any of the behavior here. I actually think that the 25-year-old law student should have been more careful, even if he didn't want to compromise legal principles that he believed in. When he saw the cop's lights on, he probably should have found a more crowded place to pull over and park, so at least he might have other witnesses to what happened. Ask any young woman out alone after dark who's seen lights in her rear window and wondered if, hmm, maybe I'd be smart to find a better-lighted public place to pull over and stop. The young man was polite, but he seemed insistent and believed that he had rights that the cop was supposed to respect. He refused to identify himself with his permit from Big Brother to travel, the driver's license, but obviously he failed to understand that the place to argue fine points of law and not law isn't when you're surrounded by a bunch of cops with weapons drawn and fingers on the triggers. And when I watched the video, folks, I couldn't help but think that this line from the cop who stopped him was particularly poignant. He said, and I quote, we can have a conversation about the laws that you have broken, unquote, or, as it turns out, you'll be dead in less than two minutes. Young Allen finally handed the policeman a passport through the window. He looked at it and asked, is this you? And the young man gave his final lawyerly response on this mortal coil. Whereupon the officer says, so you have a fraudulent ID, which seems to give all of them the excuse to haul him out of the car and arrest him. Or, uh, well, as it turns out, worse. Chase Allen had a phone in his right hand. Evidently, he was videotaping the conversation for himself. He started to move it to his left hand as his car door was being jerked open. And everything after that happened really fast. Watching the video, I tend to think he was going to try to unfasten his seatbelt with his right hand. But hey, as you can guess, folks, your opinion, your mileage may vary. You can hear gun, 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 gun being shouted. And there was a hail of bullets that killed the young man instantly, several times over and from at least three different directions. You can hear a high-pitched shriek in the video that turns out to have been Chase Allen's foot jamming the accelerator to the floor as he died. What struck your host, folks, after he was good and dead and you heard him saying, cease fire, cease fire, was how they walked up, dragged his dead body out and threw it on the pavement, rolled it over, and then handcuffed the bullet-ridden corpse. I guess they didn't need to check for a pulse or call for an ambulance like a TV show cop would. Now, since I'm already saying a lot of things that are politically incorrect, including the fact that if you really want to end up dead, the way to do it is to show that you are a believer in the rule of law and bill of rights, even if the Daily Mail, the New York Times, the WAPO, and the rest of the waste-stream media are going to call you a sovereign citizen instead, I'll make at least one more observation here. If this young man had been black, this would have been the top story at every single one of those fake news outlets, and there would have been riots and fires in major city cesspools all across America. Instead, folks, and I guess this is my real point, what we've seen is satanically, diabolically creative. Think about it and ponder the implications, because they're only just beginning. <laughs>